Morris, and you are about to embark on the next Pioneer Knowledge Services Because You Need to Know, a digital resource for you to listen to folks share their experience and knowledge around the field of knowledge management and nonprofit work. Your company or organization would like to help us continue this mission and sponsor one of our shows, email BYNTK at pioneer-ks.org. As we peel back the onion layers, looking at organizational behavior, which our current model is human-bound, let's talk about some of our pain points that organizations suffer through, such as compatibility and tension points. How does DISC theory approach this? Individuals have different styles. Individuals also have different levels of reflection and competency in five different areas that relate to compatibility. And here's what they are. The first one is communication style. Understanding that we all talk, we all send and receive in different ways, and we don't always interpret on the receiving side and we don't always use a feedback loop, right? Assertiveness one-on-one, I, I heard you said, or do I understand? That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. The next thing is decision-making style. A D could move quickly with a magic hunch. An I, people who are high empathy types, they could quickly pull a team together without doing a lot of pre-screening. This might not sit well with the high C, the conscientious one that's slower, more critical, given more attention to detail rather than personality. The third point that's important to compatibility is motivation. D's and C's are product oriented. I's and S's are process oriented. So their motivations are different. The I's and S's will feel like the meeting's gone well if the feelings are good and we're communicating and there's a balance in talking and listening, whereas the D's and C's will be more interested in the meeting addressing the product. What is the quality, the quantity, the delivery, et cetera. The fourth thing that contributes to compatibility or not is problem solving style. And this is my favorite one because oftentimes the problems that come up, we're not aware of the root causes. We'll talk about usually fight around a symptom when there's a deeper underlying issue. So it's important, first of all, to define the problem and mutually define the problem we're fighting over. And oftentimes we'll find that it's not really the problem, it's a symptom that brings to mind other symptoms, or maybe not, maybe it is the actual root problem, but oftentimes it's not. The fifth thing is conflict resolution. How do we solve our problems? Well, there was a time in my youth when we, <laughs> when we solved problems on the street with our fists, we would just be street fighters, right? And then later in life, I'd use lawyers to fight. Now I've decided, who wins in that situation? The lawyers win. So now I decided communication is probably the best way to do it. And like most people, I don't like conflict, have avoided it, but I've also learned to be temporarily uncomfortable for a short period of time while I say, Edwin, I really have a bone to pick with you. I've got something on my mind. Could we talk? And I could use what we refer to as nonviolent communications to focus on the problem, not on the person, not make the other person wrong or bad because we disagree, whether it's business or politics, it doesn't matter, but we could 
address conflict resolution by asking for something. Let me just dance around that. What you're saying is you're disarming, and I mean, this is my phrase, you're disarming the conversation by allowing the subject to be other than the two people or the people represented in the discussion. You are trying to say the issues over here. It's not this. It's that's the issue I have a problem with. It, it disarms that defense mechanism that some people have. That's correct. Exactly right. It might not immediately lower the temperature of the conflict. You might see in a second meeting the temperatures lowered, but that's exactly what that will do. And that's the purpose of what I teach in productive conflict. It's not conflict resolution, but it's more so lowering the temperature yeah. and intensity of the disagreement. You're releasing that charge, right? You're releasing the electronic yeah. charge. Yeah, that's negative assertion. What did right? I do wrong? Tell me. Because once people yeah. unload, they can never go back to that same level of intensity. A good trick is to look for some point of commonality, no matter how hostile mm-hmm. the the conflict begins with, we could say really anything because we have an innate need to connect with others we see twin babies hugging each other right after they're born right so even if we're hostile with someone if we say hey we both like the colts or or something yeah anything we're both yeah. members some similarity or we both value this anything it might not be seem to make impact in the moment but that actually helps to make a bridge to better communication good word bridge bridge I, I just pulled up the, the definition of compatible. Merriam-Webster says compatible is capable of existing together in harmony. I want everybody to think about that as they're listening to this, is that the end state could be your organization could actually be in harmony with each other, intra-organization. Exactly. Honda's an example. That's a disc organization. And there's many construction, many, many, literally thousands. Uh, there's been over 70 million of these profiles. It's the most recognized such tool for personality assessment in the world. And given that high number of uh, profiles in the database, it also boasts a very high validity. That is, it does test what it presumes to test. And and reliability, that it's fairly accurate. Most people will agree when they read this that it describes in words what they know about themselves intuitively, about 80%. They might disagree with, with some of it, but it's eerie. Often I hear people say, when, especially if they're new to this, they'll say, well, geez, it really nailed me good. Yeah. But the positive thing is that the report, going back to your organization question, mm-hmm. the report actually gives you advice on how to make change, and it even has a resistance meter. It'll tell you you have this much resistance to this movement towards better compatibility, but that is so scary. I'll frame this in a visual. Remember the circumplex, the circle, Mm -hmm. and the cross? Imagine you're at three o'clock. You're a high C. You're quiet. You're observant. You're scientific. You're not someone to rally the troops or be emotional. You're not a driver. But if you're pushed to accept things and you're pushed and pushed, Marston documents this in his book, Emotions of Normal People. If a D pushes a C, they'll eventually explode and they'll jump up and exhibit an aberrant D behavior. They'll suddenly have a temper tantrum and maybe it's justified. But because they've been observing you for so long and because they're so intuitive, Mm. they'll know things about you that will cut, that will hurt. And because they're so specific with language, they'll use words that will cut you deeply. 
So if you're high C, take heed. When you lose your temper, count to 10 and choose your words carefully. Did we finish your list of the compatibility factors? Yes, the five compatibility factors are communication style, decision-making style, motivation style, problem-solving style, and how we handle conflict. Is compatibility the other end of the seesaw of tension points? Um, yes, actually it is. Let's hear about tension points. Yes. I've had a few tension points. Let's hear what you think tension points are. I'll read my list and, and tell me when <laughs> one pops out at you, okay? Usually in a training session, no okay. one will speak up, you know, but I, but I could see the eyebrows raise. <laughs> like, <whoops. Yep. laughs> if you're more of the assertive dominant style, and, and bear in mind, this is about styles, not types. Too often I hear, oh, DISC is a test. It's not a test. All it is is a snapshot of you in the here and now of how you see yourself. Your profile could look totally different tonight when you're with your lover or okay. spouse. Right, okay. But bear in mind, we are fluid. The personality is dynamic. It's such a beautiful thing, what we are. We can't express it in words or a two-dimensional report. But in terms of behavior, the dominant person, their attention points, their... What they will do when they're pushed too far, their limitations under pressure are they overstep prerogatives, they act restlessly, they inspire fear in others, they override people, they might be blunt and sarcastic with others, they sulk when they're not in the limelight. This is mine, by the way, my report mm. told me, and I've noticed that when I'm in a meeting with colleagues and everyone's talking but me, and I don't need to, I realize Hmm, when are they going <laughs> to give me the mic? Even if I don't have anything to say, my adolescent programming is, oh, they're excluding me. So you're like my cat then. If the cat's not in the middle of everything, then she's very upset. Well, I don't scratch. <laughs> <laughs> in inducement, or inducement is the actual word, and I'll explain more about the, the word changes, as I said, a little bit later. Okay. But inducement means we're all about empathy, people, relationships, we want to know testimonials, credibility, all of that, but possible limitations under pressure of the inducement profile is that we become more concerned with popularity than tangible results. We might oversell because of that high energy and, and need for self-agency to express what's in us. We might just over-talk the subject rather than say, here's my product, it does this, it costs this, do you want it? Number three, we act impulsively with heart over mind. Mm. We might be biased by personalities rather than actual performance. This is something I caution middle managers for because we might marginalize someone who has a awkward or quirky personality who has better work performance. Uh, another possible limitation is we might be unrealistic in appraising people because we have a tendency to look for the good for the people. We only see the good. <laughs> I'll go through the other two, steadiness or submission, submissiveness. They strive to maintain the status quo. They so resist change, it frightens them. So if you're suggesting change, take them carefully, hold their hand and walk them through the process. Otherwise, you're going to see some behavior that's not cooperative on the team. They might take a long time to adjust to new procedures, help them with that. And they might be lacking in imagination. They might want to stay with something that's steady and consistent rather than a new plan, a new map that might seem scary only because it's new and there's a resistance to change. 
And the last one, the possible limitations of pressure for those who are compliant is they tend to lean on supervisors. They don't have as much initiative as the other styles. They tend to hesitate to act without a precedent. They don't want to do something new if they haven't seen it done already successfully by someone else. And they also, in the worst situation, tend to pass the buck because they want to be seen as perfect. They're very, they want perfectionism is part of that profile. So if something goes wrong, uh, it wasn't me, it was, it was right. George. <laughs> well, it sounds like as an organizational constraint, and I'll put it as such, that it's a constraint of organizational effectiveness because everything you're talking about in a compatibility and tension probably equate to the level of trust within an organization. Is that a true statement? Yes, that's absolutely true. What does DISC do for trust building? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Trust is built incrementally in relationships. I'll reference a good source book regarding trust called The Evolution of Cooperation by Robert Axelrod. He, back in the 80s, sent a test around the world to Mensa groups and others asking for a solution to the prisoner's dilemma riddle. That's the situation where several people are caught by the cops, they're isolated, they're all given incentive to tell the truth, to tell the story. There's penalties and there's advantages to them cooperating or not. If they all cooperate and say nothing to the cops, then they all get off and they all win. If one of them decides to cooperate and the other doesn't, then one gets punished and the other does not as much. So this is kind of the situation every time we meet someone. People are not really predictable. I should say behavior is not really predictable. So we can only count on last behavior. What Robert Axelrod found in receiving these solutions, thousands of solutions hmm. to this contest, how do we build trust? What he found was that in interacting with people, we either give people a full sack or we pass neutrally by them or an empty sack. People either feel nurtured or received an idea or a benefit or it was a good exchange, there's good energy. Or some people, when we leave them, it feels like we took a barbiturate. He developed this concept of trust building by observing the last behavior of the person. And if it was a full sack, if it was good, responding kind or even better. But if it was negative, if it was a take or an attack, then simply decide to, if you can, to not work with that person or not deal with that person or to respond in kind, to set boundaries, to set limits. So it's an excellent source. In terms of trust with DISC, I must say, uh, and this is not scientifically proven, I'm just referring to studies and my own experience observing thousands of people, these have trouble with trust more so than the others because they're very egocentric. They know it must be a good idea because by golly, I thought of it. <laughs> so, so it must be my idea. To build trust with them, it's important, first of all, know your own style in terms of how to approach them. And secondly, to get them to open their mind to possibilities rather than a fixed point of view. Trust with the high eye is easier. In fact, a high eye, a high empathy person might divorce someone and forgive and return again and again. Elizabeth Taylor syndrome, because the relationship is more important than the event. Trust with the S is the most important thing. Loyalty is one of their highest values. And if you screw up on loyalty, forget it. They're the ones who say goodbye, and they mean goodbye. Delete. You're gone. 
And then in terms of trust for the C, you've got to prove it. Give me some facts. Mm. Be consistent. Be on time. Be accurate. And these are some tips on how to approach trust as regards these styles. Well, thank you, Frank. I'm anticipating a deeper dive in our next segment when we talk about productive conflict. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. finished our latest Because You Need to Know, a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services. Please join us on LinkedIn and find us at pioneer-ks.org.